This episode of Ladies Who League is proudly brought to you by Rugby League Sports Management. Nurturing, assisting, supporting and planning for your rugby league career. Australia sprint from one side to the other. And it gets the ball to Morgan. Morgan crosses the Swayze. Comes away to O'Neill. Goal! Goal! You're listening to Ladies League. Hello everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Ladies Who League. As you know, this week is Women in League Round, but not just any Women in League Round. This year, Women in League Round celebrates 10 years. We think that women in our game are worth celebrating, so every day this week you will be treated to an interview with a different woman involved in our game. Tonight, I'm lucky enough to be joined by current NRL referee, Casey Badger. Hi, Casey. Hey. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time to come and visit us again. Oh, always happy to be here. Now, Casey, I thought we'd start at the very beginning. You've got 30 seconds. Tell us about yourself. Um, just a normal suburban girl who um, grew up loving the game of rugby league and um, just really big into, into pretty much any sport. Um, so that's always been the passion of mine. Um, just close family and friends and living a very, very regular, uneventful life. <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me. So Casey, you talk about your love of sports. What are your early sporting memories? Was it a wide variety of sports or just rugby league? I was, it was a wide variety overall, but, um, rugby league was definitely my big, my first, uh, main introduction into sport. So as a four year old, I started playing. So my earliest memories in sport are either playing rugby league or, um, school athletics carnivals running around in the old bloomers and school and school t-shirt and the little felt badge with my name on it and my house color and stuff like that. That's a little bit cute, Casey. I'd love to see a picture of that. There are some very dodgy photos wearing the school bloomers. I think we've all got photos like that and uh, hopefully our mums never ever bring them out. They're just in the back of the cupboard. (laughs) Now, Casey, you talk about playing rugby league. When did you make the shift from playing rugby league to refereeing rugby league? So I started playing when I was four and went all the way through to under 12s. Um, And from then on, girls weren't allowed to play anymore. And there were no, um, there were no competitions for any girls at that stage. Um, Rugby league's come a long way since then. But back then, there was um, no avenue for me to continue playing. Um, When I turned 17, I started refereeing. And then when I turned 18, I started playing again in the open age women's competition. So there was a couple of years there where I was playing and refereeing. Casey, it must be exciting then for you to be able to see the Gillaroos doing so well at the moment and so much excitement around the women's game, despite you not having that opportunity. Yeah, it's a big case of uh, of, of a bit of FOMO there. <laughs> and uh, it's, I, I love seeing it. It's fantastic that we've got a an avenue there for, for women to be playing the game and we're starting to really build um, really strong pathways for girls to continue playing after the age of 12. So I love seeing that, to see girls getting the opportunities that um, some of us never got before um, and to see how well they're doing and how well supported they are in the game. And starting to recognise faces as well. Like I've got a favourite Jillaroo, a lot of my friends do. It, it's good to see them finally getting that support, I think. Yeah, that's right. There were a few years there where um, the women's game was going going really strong and there were some really good um, interstate games, Queensland and New South Wales, but it just wasn't promoted and it mm-hmm. wasn't out there. And I'd see these games and just think, geez, if someone would just take the take the risk, take the plunge, put this on TV, let the audience see this quality and this standard and surely it'll take off. And one of the biggest moments we had there was when um, 
the girls ended up going to the Auckland Nines and the NRL broadcast those games. And then finally, like, you know, the country could see how good women are at rugby league and how exciting it is and that it is a genuine um, product in itself. It sounds like someone listened to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. I wouldn't uh, go ahead and say that they were listening to me, but I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that it happened. Absolutely. Now, Casey, referees have to be incredibly fit. I think a lot of people forget that while players are just running up and down the field, you guys are talking and speaking and thinking while you're running up and down the field. What sort of training do you have to do every week to make sure that you're in peak physical condition? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, so we run on average sort of not about nine k's a game. And like you said, one of the hardest aspects of that is not just that you're running the nine kilometres, but you're making decisions and you're talking. So you'd know anyone who's gone for a run, if you go for a run with a friend or something and you try and speak, like have a conversation the entire way through, it's, it's extremely difficult. Um, and that's effectively what we're doing um, in a high-pressured environment and making all of those decisions. Um, so the referees, the elite squad are full time and their squad, uh, their sessions are based very similar to what a NRL club, so what a player would do. So there's probably, there's on average about, um, nine or 10 physical sessions a week, um, which would be a mix between field sessions, runs. So lots of, um, shuttle runs and returns and stuff like that. Um, three to four gym sessions a week, a couple of swims a week and usually one or two off leg sessions. There's something like on a spin bike or Mm -hmm. rower grinder, that sort of stuff. So it's a real balance between, um, you know, wanting to keep people at that peak fitness level but not wanting to overload people either. So there's times in the year where we do back off the running um, and then other times where we hit the paddock pretty hard. And who's fitter out of you and Gavin? Oh, I can't – I'd love to lie and say that it's me but (laughs) that man is a genetic freak. Um, He just – he gets fitter and fitter with age. He's he's currently the oldest on-field uh, referee in the squad at 44. You wouldn't believe that <clears throat> yeah. watching him on the field. Yeah. That yeah. surprised a, me actually. He's a very he's a very young 44, but um, we do our standard fitness test is the yo-yo test. So for anyone who knows that, it's similar to the old beep test, a similar sort of thing. I hated that thing at school. Well, it was awful. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone's a big fan of it except for Gavin who um, last time we did it as a squad, he finished the tape. So he outran the tape and that just sort of is indicative of his fitness levels. That's quite incredible. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Far out. Well done, Gavin. Can you tell us about some of the other characters in the squad, Casey? Oh, everyone brings their own um, own unique personalities to it. And I guess that's what's really good about um, about refereeing is that it's such an eclectic uh, group. Um, you've got some guys who might seem a bit more lots of times people say oh is like a, a Ben Cummins or a Jerry Sutton are they are they serious because they just sort of might appear that way on field but they're some of the funniest guys that that you'll meet um and when people see, start to see their personalities off off field then um I think they start to gain a better understanding and a better respect for referees Definitely. Now, Casey, can you tell us about the bunker? Because that's been a, a really interesting development this year and the impact that you think that that's had on the game? Um, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I think it is absolutely fantastic. And I think it's copped a lot of, um, unfair, unfair criticism. Um, statistically will show that decisions are being made faster. We're not sending up, we're not referring any more decisions to the bunker than what we did in previous seasons to the video referee. The bunker aren't stepping in on any on-field decisions any more than what they have in the past either. Um, so I think, yeah, some, some of the flack is, is quite on unfair and people have got to remember as well. It's, People sort of think that with something like that, it's just easy to operate and easy to, to do. But it's such a complex system 
the guys have got to get time to actually learn how to use the controls, how to how to use the the vision, how to flick between different screens and and make those decisions. And um, you know, and they're doing a really, I, I think they're doing a very very good job. And from a um, <clears throat> sorry, from a refereeing point of view, the the tool that it gives us is that we have we can have anywhere of like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 angles of a game that we've never had access to mm. before as a referee. So we can see. Um, why we've positioned ourselves somewhere, how we got to that position. Okay, where did I start and why did I move the way I did? Could be the way following the path of the ball or that a certain player got in our way or whatever. And in the past, we've only ever had, you know, the program vision and then one really wide eagle cam vision and doesn't really um, accurately show what we're seeing on the field. Whereas now we can split that up and we can sit down in in a debrief session and look at a decision which we may have got right or wrong or whatever, indifferent, um, it might not even be an on-ball decision, just a certain incident of the game, and then we can bring up on the screen and see, okay, well, which camera angle shows where the referee was looking and line that up next to which camera angle shows which where the touch judge was looking <laughs> and line that up and see where the assist ref was, was looking, for example, and then see, okay, well, how can we better position ourselves to be able to get those decisions right or have a better view on that or you know, whose main responsibility or whose core responsibility should this sort of decision fall on between those between those people. And that's just a, a whole range of, uh, of tools that we've never been able to have before at our disposal. So for us, I think it's, it's very exciting. And as decision makers, um, you know, that that's really good for us because in the past there's been decisions that we would make and no camera angle has, has, has shown it. You might rule a knock-on, for example, or a strip or vice versa. And it's what we call a supported decision. So there's just no camera angle that shows it. And you just go, okay, well, Tick will say supported decision. You don't really get any brownie points for making it, but you don't get, you know, a slap on the wrist for getting it wrong either. Whereas now there's sort of nowhere to hide. And that's really good. If you're a good decision maker, that's really good because those angles are proving you right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and stat, the stats that we've done will show we make over 400 critical decisions a game. That's just critical decisions. So that's not, we, we make a lot more than that. But that's, you know, real tight ones or ones where there's multiple decisions at a time and our accuracy rate is over 98%. So we look at getting seven to eight decisions in inverted commas wrong. That doesn't mean that it's a knock-on and it should have been a strip or we called Mm. knock-on and it was back, that sort of stuff. It could be something like there was a player offside on the 10 who wasn't identified. He may not have necessarily broken down play, but that counts as an an error Mm -hmm. or a kick chaser who wasn't identified as being offside. So when you look at that figure and put that into the 417 critical decisions we make and say that we come out of that with a 2% error rate, that's pretty damn good in my book. I think that's pretty incredible, Casey. And I think you mentioned before the criticism that, you know, the bunker has received. What impact do you think that the commentary teams and the media have on that? Because the commentary team often, you know, they're commentating on the game and they don't have the benefit of the angles that the bunker has and often you're not seeing the vision that the bunker is seeing. So I think yeah. that decision on yeah. the weekend was a classic where... Yeah, so the side angle of the one on the weekend shows that there's separation between the hand and the ball, which is what the bunker sees, but um, the the broadcaster didn't broadcast that vision. So it's up to the broadcaster. We um, The NRL gives access to, all, to, um, to Fox and to Channel 9 as to what the bunker's seeing, and it's up to them whether they decide to take that feed or not. Sometimes they take it, sometimes they mm-hmm. don't. Sometimes they might take one or two of those shots and then cut to their own shots, and, and that's up to them and their producers and directors and however the world of TV works. Um, but for the fans at home, that can be confusing when they're going, well, geez, how the 
you know, how the hell did they come up with that yeah. with that decision? And the other thing as well is with, with commentators is that we say a lot of the time that people people watch with their ears. So if the commentators are saying a certain thing, that just draws someone's attention to that or you, or the commentators and they're people who are most of them are people who are highly respected in the game and have done a lot on field as, as players or, or as coaches. So you assume that they know what they're talking about, but sometimes they get it wrong and sometimes they don't understand the laws or the intricacy of the laws mm-hmm. or, or how the laws are applied. And sitting at home as a, and I don't want to use the word uneducated because that sounds like I'm having a shot at people. As a normal at fan, home, but as a normal fan, you, normal fans are generally less educated about the laws than what they they generally think. Just because you've watched the game for twenty years doesn't mean you have a real intricate knowledge of the laws. So, as a less educated fan sitting at home, you listen to the commentators and you think, yeah, what they're saying is right, and. Quite often, it's it's not always right, or they're not considering uh, an alternative angle or an alternative uh, opinion. And um, sometimes, you know, we sit at home and yell at the TV, like our opinions or quoting what the law book says or what the interpretations are or whatever, and it can be quite frustrating. I can imagine. Now, Casey, another thing I wanted to touch on, there have been a couple of incidents, and I always remember Good Friday last Mm. year and the way that the referees were spoken to on the field. It, has safety ever been an issue for you or something you've worried about? Um, I don't think it's anything that I've really particularly worried about, like gone out onto a field and thought, oh, geez, I feel un- mm. I feel unsafe. Um, unfortunately, there are some unsavoury incidents and we've seen some things happen this year um, with some young referees around Cronulla and, and, and that, ha- that it's, you know, it's not only that district, that that's fairly widespread across, yeah. um, you know, not just rugby league, but junior sport. Jun- just that's just a sport. sport. It is. It is. Um, so I don't want to get fixated on it being a, a problem in rugby league. It's just it's a, it's a social problem. It's a it's a sport sporting problem. Um, but I've never. I can honestly say that I've never really thought, oh, geez, I'm in I'm in real trouble here. Mm. In saying that, I came through a district. Um, so I refereed my junior football in Parramatta, where compared to a lot of other areas, there are a lot of safety barriers in place there. It's a fairly strong junior league. There's always roped off areas for the field. There's always a ground manager. There's always representatives there from the junior league. So we're fairly well protected there in comparison to some, um, you know, smaller districts or less uh, districts who have less resources or country areas and remote areas and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, for myself, I never really felt that way, um, you know, Still copped it from crowd and stuff like that. <laughs> um, pl- plenty of times, but um, yeah, never really felt. I don't think scared was ever something that I felt. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I like to hear. No. This week, Ladies Who League celebrates women in league round. We're chatting with NRL referee Casey Badger, and we'll be back in a sec. Radio Hub is Australia's premier podcasting facility. With high-quality sound equipment and production services, Radio Hub is a one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. So, if you're ready to jump into the exciting realm of podcasting, contact Radio Hub on 0402 870 900 or email info at radiohub.com.au. Now, Casey, what's been your favourite venue to referee at? I got, actually got asked this question last week for the first time and I sort of it sort of took me aback and I thought, oh, jeez, I... I don't even know how to answer that um, because I just don't have a, I don't have a favourite as as a rugby league as a pure rugby league fan. Every venue that I go to, I think of something that's happened there or that I was there as a child or 
oh, if I'm at ANZ, or well, this is you know, the home of state of origin and grand finals. Mm-hmm. And if I go to the SFS, it's oh, this was one of the original homes of rugby league, or where you know I watched a, a test match as a child. And then you go to you know Brookvale and I go, oh, geez, I sat on the hill heaps, like you know, plenty of times here as a kid. Or you go to Suncorp Stadium and you just go, oh, geez, this is like a cauldron. It's the cauldron. You know, it's a, it, pretty much every single field I go to, I just I love it because I think of things that have happened at those at those fields. So I don't specifically have a favourite. I actually like the way you describe that. It just sounds like there are good rugby league memories associated with almost every stadium yeah, you've been is, at, yeah. and that's exactly what we want. Okay, so I'd love to ask you what the most ridiculous thing you've ever had yelled out at you or heard from a player on the field, even if it's not at you or just a player yelling it out. Oh, geez, there's, <laughs> there's been some bad ones. Your common one, and it's it wouldn't come as a surprise, but I, I get the get back in the kitchen. I get oh, yeah, the, really? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get, <laughs> I get that. Oh, that's why girls shouldn't be in rugby league. And then the best one is, is the it's not netball, love. Oh. oh, really? Oh, see, I, th- I thought I was on a netball court. Thanks, thanks for, thanks for telling thanks me. For the Thank tip. you so much. Thanks for the tip. Now I can do the right thing. Um, yeah, there's like, there's been some other um, unsavoury ones which I which I won't repeat. But um, mo- most of them are, um, you know, the ones that people would expect. Those sorts of calls. Do you tune out, Casey, or can you hear it? Um, the majority of the time it's just background noise. Yeah. Um, I guess it's different coming through the grades like in the lower levels and park football, you hear it because there's like 10 people <laughs> at the ground so you're going to hear it um, compared to being, you know, in a, at a first grade game then it's just background noise unless you're, you know, you're touch judging and you're standing behind the post and there's some <laughs> idiot behind you giving it to you. Um, so, yeah, generally you don't hear it um, but occasionally you, you hear some uh Absolute crackers. I'll bet you do. Yeah. Casey, how many boots do you and Gavin have between you? <laughs> uh, way, way, way too many. Um, we, we have actually cut it down recently. So we're the same size foot, so we uh, share plenty of our um, you know, joggers and sneakers and casual shoes and, and footy boots and stuff, and that's the way we, we justify uh, buying them. Every time we buy a new pair, oh, it's all right, we'll share them. And it's your job as well. I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so, yeah, we've currently got um, got 20 pairs of boots be- between us, um, which rotate in and out uh, each week. Yeah, how do you decide which ones to wear? <laughs> <laughs> well, this season has uh, has made it easier and last season because we've had three, three colour jerseys. Well, it depends which way you look at it make it easier or make it harder but um i've got certain boots that i'll wear with a with a certain color jersey that just makes sure that i'm evenly rotating those boots uh between which ones suit which uh color i'm wearing you've got to make their important decisions oh they are they are (laughs) um casey can you tell us just a bit about you know your love of rugby league and your favorite rugby league players to watch and any particular favorite moments you've had this year uh, so favourite players in the in the in the past? Or oh, yeah. whatever you like, past, present, I remember now. As a as a young child, so as like a four or five year old, my first I always remember my first favourite player was Mal Meninga. Mm-hmm. Um, I just loved uh, loved watching him play and how big he was and the way he kicked the ball and just he was just he was just fantastic. And then I became a big um, big Steve Menzies fan. Um, so I've always um, in that mould of Steve Menzies, I've always really loved the players who, um, you know, might not be your biggest superstars, but are just so solid and consistent week in, week out. Like they just don't have a bad game mm-hmm. and they just do so much that like 
on the ball and off the ball that just contribute so much to their teams. And they've been the players I've always loved. So I know um, the last few years a player who sort of has fit that mould has been a Gavin Cooper um, with the, with the Cowboys, and I've always enjoyed watching watching him play because that that's what he reminded me of one of those players who just he just doesn't have a bad bad game and just contributes so much to his side. Um, so it was great to see him get a crack at Origin this year. Um, but honestly, just seeing there's such a range of great athletes in our in our game, and one of the best things about um, running on the touchlines in the NRL is that. You know, I sit at home and and watch these games, and you see how good players are, and you just think, oh, geez, God, they're outstanding. And then you're on the touchline, and you just get an even better appreciation for how good they are. So I remember um, last year running a touchline in Canberra, and um, Cia Soliola was playing. I was going, geez, I always thought he was good, but my God, He's like that, the, good. he is just that good. You know, and then I, I could rattle off so many players' names from 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 every side, and you just. You know, you, you, like I said, you, you always know how good they are from watching them on TV, but when you see up close how much, how much time they have with the ball and how much impact they have on their team. I remember Gavin always telling the story when, um, people ask him, you know, who were some of the best players that he, that he's refereed. He always tells a story about, about Brett Kamali. And we know Brett Kamali's played plenty of rep football in New South Wales, Australia. But he was always sort of that, that little bit behind Andrew Johns and just mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, but there were years where he did play halfback and Andrew Johns played, played in at hooker. Um, and Gavin always says that, you know, he knew Brett Morley was a good player, but it wasn't until he refereed him that he realised just how good he was because he said every time he got the ball, it just looked like things were in slow motion. He just created so much time for himself. And that's something that he's always said and, and I sort of get a better appreciation for that now running touchlines is seeing those players who just look like they have so much time to make their decisions. Mm. You know, your Jonathan Thurston's and stuff like that where, you know, the game's going a million miles an hour but he just looks like he's got all the time in the world to decide what he's going to do with that ball, what decision he's going to make. It really is the greatest game of all. Like I'm just oh, sitting here listening to you <laughs> and I just could talk to you about this all night. I think um, I also loved watching you on the touchline this year when Nathan Ross scored that <laughs> try up in Newcastle. I don't know how he got his legs in the air like that. Yeah. Your face, you know, <laughs> your, your mouth was gaping open, but I think everyone's mouth was. Yeah. That's exactly how I, I felt when I saw that. That was just a phenomenal piece of athleticism. And the thing is that, that that's something that like it's not – completely rare in the game we see mm-hmm. we see our, our players doing that sort of stuff week in week out and when he when he dived for that try I just as soon as he put the ball down I just went oh my god <laughs> like how did how did he do that and I knew as close as the decision as tight as the decision was I knew that that was straight up that that was a try and your fa- my face could do nothing but be in awe <laughs> of that moment and then as a, again, as a rugby league fan, to sort of go back home and um, you know that's being played over all the different football shows, over all the networks, all the news outlets. It's in all the newspapers, you know, for a couple of weeks. And there's me in the background, looking <laughs> stupid with my face, with my mouth open, gasping, but sort of thinking, you know what? That's something pretty cool to, you know, every time that they play that try. There's Casey, there's Casey standing in the, in the background, background just going, how good's this? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was a pretty cool cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, I'll bet. So not only do we get to watch the greatest game of all, but I feel like women's sport has also been growing tremendously mm-hmm. this year. Do you have a favourite moment so far? of wi- In women's sport and rugby league? Of women's sport. Anything? Go oh, for geez. it. Oh, jeez, haven't even really thought, really thought a great deal about that. I think um, something that you just said is, 
I think one of the big things is not so much a specific moment, but just the the growth that women's sport has had. We've seen, um, obviously, with the with the Gillaroos take off, and now um, you know Cronulla, I think St George and South are having like a nines competition next with their women's year. as well next year. Um, we see, you know, the the great um, skill of our touch football players. There's lots of that being shown on on TV. We see what AFL are doing, um, you know, with, with with their females in sport. See netball and the rise of that. You look at the, what the Matildas are doing, what the A League are doing with, with, you know, with their W League and stuff like that. So I think one of the best things over the last sort of year to two years is just this sort of, yeah, this rise of women's sport. And hopefully this is, is it'll be sustainable. And I, I hope, and I think, each, I think each sport has done a really good job of, um, you know, not trying to rush uh, their women's programs, but try and find a way to make sure that this is a s- sustainable product which will last, you know, for years to come. I think that's probably one of the best things that 2016 has brought for women's sport is that there's actually hype around it. There's media around it. They're getting um, sport played in some, you know, go- really good time slots on free-to-air TV, on on pay, uh, pay TV, um, and it's great to see the media start to take hold of that as well. And it's funny, Casey, you mentioned not wanting to rush, and that's sort of yeah. how I feel about rugby league at the moment. I feel like our Gillaroos are getting more promotion than they ever have before. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Sharks are starting that women's competition next year, but I'm not in any rush for the NRL to start a women's competition until we sort of feel that we're ready. And I think one of the problems may be that, you know, if you play rugby league, you can play tag, you can play tackle and Mm. you can play touch. So I don't think we've quite got... Yeah, that's right. And we've got to think as well is that... If we don't don't have, um, you know, the strongest pathway at the moment for girls 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, so... It's a bit unrealistic to think, well, let's go and put 16 teams out there or even if that got cut back to just the Sydney clubs to start with or whatever. That's a lot of spots you've got to fill with people who haven't had a strong um, history in the game. But if we start to, you know, we're starting, like we've already discussed how well the Jellaroos are going and then our Queensland, New South Wales games and stuff like that. So continue to support them and, and, and build that level and with the um you know with the women's competitions and then now we start with our 13s and 14s and 15 and 16 year old girls and then hopefully you know in 5 to 10 years time those girls have come through they've had a lifetime of playing our sport and then we can look at building you know a, a wider spread competition they might be aligned with the NRL team something similar to what the, the AFL are doing perhaps they'll be regional teams i don't know what that would look like but we want to make sure that it's a good product because that's the key thing. There's Absolutely. no point having a competition unless it's a good product and we want to be able to sell that product. We want that to be marketable. We want people to, to want to watch mm-hmm. it. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's not rushing but it's also making sure we're putting plans in place to build that to get to where we want to be. Absolutely, and I think so much of that is about making those jewelries visible and making yeah. sure that little girls know their names and that they can say, when I grow up, I want to do that. I want to do that. Exactly I right. think we're well on our way. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. exciting times. Mm. Uh, now, Casey, tell me about Women in League Ground and, and the significance of it for you. Yeah, so um, as we know, this will be the, the 10th year of, of Women in League Ground. So I've been working in the game for, for nine years. So I've been around for, you know, pretty much all of, all of these sorts of events. Um, it's been great to see um, how it's evolved. You know, it started out being a, a thank you to women in the game, very much a canteen a, lady, yeah, a grassroots thing, your canteen lady, your mums, and and there was definitely a place for that at the time. And what's fantastic to see over the ten years is that we've really morphed away from that. We've moved away uh, away from that and really showcasing our professional women in the game. And then hopefully 
and I've said this before and it might sound bad to say, but my vision is that we don't need a women in league That's round. my vision as well. We I hope that in 10 it. years we don't need it yeah. because women are so commonplace like exactly in right. all aspects of the game, from the tuck shop to the field to Every, administration yeah. to wherever. Yeah, absolutely everywhere. And and that would be the best thing to say. Like I, I think I would be disappointed if in five years' time we still have a women in league round. And that might – I don't know how other people will, will view that or – but that's – yeah, that's just where I sort of sit. I think we've got so many fantastic women within our game, you know, doing great things at, at high levels that I hope that just starts to become the norm now. And in, you know, five years, definitely in 10 years' time, you know, we don't need a dedicated round. We could maybe have a volunteers round, for example, but that and that could be for males and females at our grassroots levels and, and thanking the people who contribute to our game at that level maybe. But, um, yeah, that's definitely how I see it. What, yeah, what's been good is that it, it highlighted that we did have women involved in the game and that they had an important role to play and now it's also shown how many great women we have at higher levels and professional levels within the game. They're everywhere and mm. even in our commentary boxes yeah. as well. So Yvonne Sampson was the first woman to chair State of Origin this year and she's oh, she did such a great job, didn't yeah. she? Yeah. I just loved it. Yeah. So, Casey, you've already touched on what women in league ground looks in 10 years, but what does the game look like 10 years from now? Oh, that's, a, that's a hard question. Very, <laughs> very, di- very, very difficult one. Um Similar to to I guess to my answer about the uh, about the women's game and not wanting to rush things and thing and stuff like that as well is that we've got to remember that that the NRL came together under one banner with all our state leagues and stuff like that only like not not long ago when we formed our commission and, and things so we've got to get the game to a place where we're financially stable where our clubs our existing clubs are, are stable and will be where they are you know forevermore. So we don't want to look too much, I guess, like as much as it would be great to see some expansion areas like Perth, maybe a central Queensland side, a second New Zealand side or whatever. I think our first obligation is to the teams who, who are currently here. Absolutely. Um, we talk a lot of the time about the, the McDonald's theory. Uh, McDonald's never, their, uh, their thoughts are that they never want to open a shop, which they're going to have to close down. They mm-hmm. never want to have to shut down a, a restaurant and, that's definitely something that we don't need in rugby league. We shouldn't be, you know, pulling a team out of the competition to add another team in. And we've also got to remember that, you know, plenty of times where we get to state of origin time of the year, you get lots of, um, you know, commentaries on the game saying, oh, geez, you know, the stocks are low this week or we need a standalone weekend for for state of origin because it takes our best players out of the game and then the stocks, our our quality is diluted and the NRL competition isn't as strong, it doesn't look as good, it's not fair on the fans, blah, blah, blah. I think, well, hang on, if we add teams to this competition, we're diluting that talent pool even further. Um, So I would definitely like to see some some expansion to make it a truly national National. national game. But... I, I just need pe- people smarter than me who know who know a lot more than I do about um, you know how that how all that works um, you know to be making those decisions. But for me, I just want to make sure that yeah the game's financially stable. The game has assets. You know, in the past, the game the game never owned anything. So I just want to make sure that the NRL is in a spot where they they own their they own some assets. You know, they own all the the licensing, all their own digital rights, all their footage, every you know. Everything is owned by by the NRL, and then they can we can look to 
you know, expand our game. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, Casey, they're all the questions that I have for you. There's been <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Thank sorry. you so much sorry for coming Sorry if I dribbled in. on. <laughs> Do you know what? You didn't dribble. I was sitting here just enthralled by what you had to say. I loved it. I could have sat here all night talking to you about your love of footy. It's good. Thank no, you. No, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having you and you know you're always welcome in the studio. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for having me. I've, been, I've really enjoyed it and enjoyed, I enjoyed last time I was here as well, oh, so happy to come on anytime. We might get you and Gavin in here actually uh, together yeah. one, one time. I might not get a word in if he's here. Oh, is he chatterbox, is he? <laughs> oh, no, I'm just probably having a dick. No, we're a bit the same. He likes to. Um, he's one of those people where if you're, you're somewhere and there's people standing in a, in a circle, he doesn't even realise he's doing it. He'll just walk in and start a conversation or stand in the middle of it and you think, Hang on, mate. Someone else was in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> you've just taken <laughs> and it over. you've just taken over. Yeah. Well, thank you, Casey, and we look forward to watching you referee for many years to come. Thank you very much. For more fantastic episodes of the Ladies Who League podcast, be sure to head to ladieswholeague.com to subscribe and to read all our latest blogs.